God, we come before you this morning. The church gathered. The people of God assembled in the place of worship, a designated place. In this world, there are wars in your most blessed country of all Israel, there is war. There are nations fighting against nations. The stage is set. The theater is forming for the armies of the world to assemble around Jerusalem. You said in your word that when we see armies compass Jerusalem about, then we shall know that the end is near. There are people, Lord, that are dying. There are people that are suffering. There are people that are protesting and hating. There's genocide. There's all kinds of malady that's going on because war is ugly. War is painful. War is hell. Oh, Lord, would you please touch those people? those that are hurting and those that are dislodged from their homes, people that don't have water to drink, they don't have electricity, they don't have facilities, they are miserable in a miserable condition. But you're a God of all grace and you're a God of all comfort. And while we sit here in the richest nation in the whole world, the nation that is able to do more than any other nation on the face of the earth. We boast this is America. Somehow we think that we're immune from that kind of activity. And somehow we think two oceans keep us from where the world's hostility is most experienced, that we're safe. But God, you said that in the last days we would cry peace and safety, but then sudden destruction would come upon us and that we would not escape. Lord, while tribulation clouds are gathering and storms are gathering, we know that there is peace in the presence of God. And we thank you for a place this morning that we can be at peace. Thank you that we were able this morning to have coffee to drink and water to wash, clothes to put on to come to your house and drive automobiles. And Lord, we repent this morning for taking all of those things for granted. We repent for being heady and high-minded we repent, Lord, for a nation that has all but forgotten you. We repent today, O oh Lord, that houses of worship are in declining attendance and that this nation is moving away from God and people in our culture are abandoning worship and Bible preaching and Bible believing. We know that you said in your word Behold the harvest and pray for the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest 
to send laborers because the harvest is plenteous, but laborers are, are few. The gospel is powerful, but the preachers of it are few. God, would you please move with us this morning and intermingle in our thoughts and our hearts and help us to lay ourselves bare before you this morning so that when we leave this place, we would say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Touch me now, O God, as I endeavor to preach your eternal word and help me, O Lord, to recover and be reminded in my mind and my spirit the things that I have studied and that you've revealed to me in your word. I pray that prayer in the strong name of Jesus, whose I am and who I serve. Amen and amen. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to stand upon his promise just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, 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 precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad. I learned to trust him just to take him at his word, just to stand upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus Jesus, 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 precious Jesus, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, 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 precious Jesus, Oh, for grace, God give us grace, bless this house with grace, to trust you even more, glory to God. Second Corinthians chapter six, 
talks about a separated people, a people who have learned to serve the Lord even when it's not popular, to preach biblical salvation when it's not really popular, to be a voice counted for righteousness in a corrupt world, a world of wickedness, a world where the Bible is seldom quoted or referred to. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is that nation that stands upon the Word of God. We have what we call a constitution that binds us all together. It's an agreement that we have that every one of us as Americans that we agree this is our constitution. This is what we believe. We believe that all men are created equal. We believe that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We all agree as Americans, this is our constitution. This is what we believe. Today the church is weaker than it's been in many decades and many years. The church is in a pattern today of indifference and lukewarmness. The church is traveling down a path that leads to destruction. The church as a whole has all figures declining. Church attendance seems to be declining. It seems that the culture is moving away from the Bible and moving away from church, moving away from the whole notion and idea of worshiping God. But the Bible also says that all nations shall be turned into hell that forget God. That every nation that, that snubs their nose at his word, that every nation that turns a deaf ear to his commandments and his statutes, he said, you will be blessed and you will be favored if you will follow my statutes and keep my commandments. But if you choose to do otherwise, he said, then there's destruction and there's calamity and catastrophe. We have choices to make. We have choices to make because the church is in the midst of a transition, in the midst of change right now. Church is unlike it's ever been and where it's going, nobody knows. I told you before, COVID-19, I don't know what the church is going to look like on the other side of this. I know how it looks now, but I don't know what COVID is going to do to us. What it taught us is that you don't have to go to church to be saved. What it taught us is that you don't have to meet and assemble, that you don't have to be a part. You can sit idly off to yourself somewhere and do church digitally. Well, I want to tell you our God is not a digitally inspired and motivated God. God knows all about your condition. God knows about your thoughts. God knows your heart. He also knows your physical condition. And this is in no way any kind of insinuation against anybody that 
It's not coming because they're not feeling well or they're sick or they're hurt. I understand that. But listen, if God could speak to us today, he would urge us to be diligent about worship and be diligent about our walk with God. Amen. He would tell us, don't get too comfortable in things that God says, I need you to be very intentional about that. Don't be slack about things that I want you to be very aggressive about. And God wants us to be aggressive about, about certain things. And God has promised this. He's promised, I will be in your midst if you'll come together. I promise you, I will be there. If as few as two of you come and meet together in my name, I'll be there. I promise you, I'll show up. Amen. What a great promise that is, that God wants us to gather. He wants us. He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Our culture is leading the other way, and it seems that you remember earlier in the year, I told everyone in the house, yeah, the best thing you can do is come to church. The best thing you can do to make an impression on this world is to have that parking lot full out there. And as the world rides by and looks over here to church, the parking lot's full. That causes them to say, these people must believe what they preach. They must believe what they're saying. Amen? They need to see every church needs to have a full parking lot so they'll have a testimony that they're doing something right. Amen? You need to be at God's house. You need to hear the Word of God preached. The Bible tells us there's nothing else that can take the place of the church assembled in the presence of God. Miracles happen when the church assembles in the presence of God. Great things, miracles happen, lives are changed when preachers preach under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Things happen, lives are changed, hearts are blessed, people are encouraged because God's Word is God's Word. And the one thing about preaching the Bible and preaching the Word of God is that's what God says. So that the preacher, what the preacher says is what God says. If he preaches God's Word, you can say, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Word. Billy Graham used to love to say, thus saith the Word of the Lord. He would quote a scripture, and then he loved to say, thus saith the word of the Lord. Why is that? Because there's salvation in the word of God. There's deliverance in the word of God. There's a life-altering, life-changing power that is in the word of God. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, wherein you stand and wherein you are saved, if you keep in memory those things I preached unto you. It's so very important how the church assimilates the preaching of the Word of God. It's very important. Amen. It's very important. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 16 tells us something very important there. My notes say 14, but I'm going to start at 16. 16 says, Know ye not that you're the temple of the living God. The temple. Did you know that every one of you in this house, you are a temple of the living God? So the church then has temples. All of these temples that are sitting around here, every one of you are the temple of the living God. Amen. The temple of the living God. God said, I will walk in you, I will dwell in you, I'll be your God and you will be my people. God wants you to know that he is in you. Amen. He is in you. God is in you. Amen. Christ is in you. The power of God and the glory of God is in you, 
in you. Praise God. I wish we could get that, that through. Look at your neighbor and say, he's in you. He's in you. Praise God. He is in you. God is in you. Praise the Lord. Did you bring him to church with you today? Did Jesus come to church with you today? Did you forget him or did you bring him today? I hope you brought him because he intends for you to bring him. Amen. These temples, but here that word is singular. It's you're the temple. And what that means is the corporate. It's the ecclesia. It means the called out ones. Called out ones. The ecclesia from which we get the word ecclesiastical, you know. And you know who the hero of the book of Ecclesiastes was, don't you? The preacher. Yeah, how about that? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Idols. What are idols? Idols are substitutes for the real God. Idols are things that men have concocted and men have constructed and named them God and worship them as God. Did you know the devil loves to pull that trick on us? He loves to establish an idol God in our temple. If you're not very careful, he will displace God and he'll put another God on your throne in your temple. You got to watch who sits on the throne in your temple. Amen? You got to make sure that God sits on the throne in your heart. And in your temple, you got to make sure that you're a worshiper of the living God, the creator God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the New Testament church, the Holy Ghost baptizer, hallelujah, the Savior, the wonderful sanctifier, the one in whom we trust and live and worship. He is our God and he sits upon the throne in our heart. Don't let him be displaced. By some idol. What agreement has your temple with idols? None. Can you answer that question? What agreement has your temple with idols? None. None. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. He's talking about a singer temp single temple right now. Just one. Which one is that? That's the one that contains all these other temples. You make up the temple of the living God. I said, you are the temple of the living God. You, the church, Harvest Church of God, is the temple of the living God. The temple of the living God. Amen. As God has said, I will dwell in them, I'll walk in them, I'll be their God, they will be my people. What a covenant, what a promise God has made to us. God says, I'll be your God. I'm going to dwell in you. I'm at home in you. I'm at home in you. Ephesians 2 called it a habitation of God through the Spirit. No longer strangers, no longer foreigners, but now fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God. Oh, blessed be God. And God said, I'll walk in you and I'll dwell in you. I'll be your God. You don't need one that sits on the shelf. You don't need one to wear around your neck. You don't need to make a belt buckle out of your God. Come on, somebody. 
our God is our heavenly Father. He's a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Our God is a spirit. Amen. That's true. And no man hath seen God at any time. The prophet said, he dwelleth in a life that no man can approach into. He is high and above all that we are able to comprehend. He is beyond our language to describe. He is music's sweetest melody. He's history's brightest star. He's the God of all creation, and he's Lord of our lives. He's the Savior who shed his blood for the sins of the whole world. I'm his child. I said, I'm his son, and he is my heavenly Father. Of whom shall I fear, or of what shall I be afraid? My life is hid with God in Christ. Hallelujah. As God has said, I will dwell in them, walk in them, be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, there's a lot of connectivity that, that's a, that's a buzzword that's going around right now, connectivity. Amen. And there's a lot of words, inclusive is a good, good word a lot of people are using. It's talking about, can't we all just gather into one big group and just all do this together. Well, it would be a, a good thing if they could all walk together and be agreed. Amos said, can two walk together except they be agreed? Amen. Listen, I can fellowship and worship and praise God with anybody that adheres to the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Amen that believes that you go to heaven because Jesus shed his blood at Calvary's cross, that believes that if you repent of your sin and be converted, you can be saved, that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved, that if you repent and turn your back on wickedness and the person that you were and turn toward Jesus and trust him for salvation and for new life in Christ, praise God, if you believe in the ordinances of the church, Amen. Baptism and you believe in Lord's Supper. Amen. And then, hey, I can fellowship with you. I'm Pentecostal because that's what I like to be. That's the way I like to worship. I'm not going to heaven because I'm Pentecostal. I'm going to heaven because the blood of Jesus. Going to heaven because he washed me in his blood. Going to heaven because he forgave me of all of my sins. Going to heaven because he made a way when there wasn't any way. Going to heaven because Jesus gave his life, hallelujah, and made me eligible to have salvation and redemption through Christ. Hallelujah. So I began this walk with him. This walk with him. Buddy, I got a hold of something good Wednesday night, and brother, I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost just come down and touched us, didn't it, brother Ford? Got to talking about, hey, I'm wandering around today. Holy Ghost is preaching today. I had to disregard the notes. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, the grace of God. Have you got a gracious God? Is your God a God of grace? Come on, somebody, man. You ought to shout it all over the house. You better believe he is. He is a God of all grace. He's not just a God of grace. He's the God of all grace. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. Titus 2, 11 and 12. The God of all grace. The God 
of grace hath taught us, has appeared to all people, appeared to all people. Brother, the grace of God is eligible to everybody. How so, pastor? Because even the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. The heavens declare the glory. Oh, hallelujah. He's a God of all grace, and his grace has appeared unto all men, teaching us. Teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Are you seeing that up there? You mean God wants a people to dwell in that deny ungodliness? Then what is ungodliness, Pastor? Come on, just pull the cover off of it and tell us what ungodliness is. Ungodliness is all that opposes God in his effort to win the world. All that opposes God. Did you know there's people that oppose God sitting on church pews? You're kidding me. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are of the flesh mind the things of the flesh, and they that are of the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. So then they that are of the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not of the flesh, brethren, if so be that the Spirit of God be in you. And if the Spirit of God be in you, then the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For the carnal mind is enmity against God, and is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. So then, brethren, they that are of the flesh cannot please God. Brother, what a sermon just got preached in this house. Best sermon in Aniston this morning. You just heard it. What's that? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly. In order to deny ungodliness, you got to have a spiritual mind. You can't have a carnal mind. You can't have a mind that goes so far with God and then draws the line and said, that's as far as I go. Because ungodly means disobedient unto God. Come on, somebody. You know, there's a difference. You got to go on with God. You don't just get saved and sit and soak and sour. I said, you don't just get saved and fall into righteousness, and this from there on, you just uh, playing your rook card. I got saved one time, vacation Bible school, when I was a kid, and then some preacher come along and preach you into heaven when you've lived your whole life. Come on, somebody. Brother, when you get saved, it's new life then. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. That, that grace that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Woo. Looking for. Looking for that blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, see the two ways there? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust and living soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Do you see the two? Hadn't seen them yet. Let me do it again. Over here, we got a way right here. What's it called? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. What's this one over here called? It's called soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Which one do you think God wants us to walk in? Soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Oh, blessed be God. Why is that, Pastor? Because we're looking for the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus. You don't want the Lord to come back and you be carnal. You don't want the Lord to come back and you be in the wrong lane. You don't want the Lord to come back and you not be prepared for his coming. In order for you to go in that rapture, folks, and I want to tell you, it's not near as easy as people are making it these days. It's a lot closer than people think it's going to be. I used to think, Lord, when the Lord comes back, planes are going to drop out of the air and trains are going to jump track, and, but if the car wrecks all over the place, it's going to be chaos. But I've changed my opinion about that. Don't mean to offend you, but I don't know if enough is going to go to make a difference. Because the church just doesn't seem to be looking for Jesus. The church seems to be asleep today. Just like the dead moon just sleeps on. Let me ask you a question. Everybody ready for a question? It's not possible for God to ever die. He's eternal. But if God could die, and he died today, how long would it take you to find out? If he died today, how long would it take you to find that out? What a question. What a question. Then what should we do then, Pastor, if we've got these two ways? Go down to that next chapter. It's 7 and verse 1. It's in the notes. It's just a, further, a little further down. Seventh chapter says, Wherefore? And I often ask you, why is that wherefore, therefore? Wherefore? Wherefore, having these promises, dearly beloved. Now, who's he writing to? Dearly beloved is who? Everybody say us. Us. Dearly beloved, having these, what is the promise? The promise, I'll walk in you, I'll dwell in you, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. I will be a father to you. You'll be my children. Having these promises, look at verse, verse 1 in chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us. Well, Brother Jerry, I thought God did all of the cleansing. No, there's some of it you've got to do yourself. 
I said, there's some cleansing you've got to do. Jesus gave his blood, but you've got to have faith and accept the fact that his blood was shed for you. You've got to repent and be converted. That's your end of it. That's your part of it. Jesus did his part. Come on, somebody. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Now, he enumerates those in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He talks about the works of the flesh as opposed to the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, faith, patience, and temperance. All of those nine graces are the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. They're not extracurricular. They're not by choice. They're, they're actually mandatory. They go along with having the Spirit of God. Come on. Come on. That's good stuff right there. Then the works of the flesh is variance, strife. Envy, malice, evil speaking, all, all of those things fit in that category of works of the flesh. And from Romans 8, we learn you're either walking by the energy of the flesh or you're walking by the energy of the Spirit. And each produce fruit. And he tells us that the filthiness of the flesh, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. All of those things that are under that category of the things of the flesh. He says, you need to be cleansed of those and you do it yourself. How do I do that? You get rid of the malice. How did the Bible say to do that? Lay it aside. Wherefore laying aside, 1 Peter 2, wherefore laying aside all malice and all evil speaking and all guile and all hypocrisy and all envy, lay it aside. Here he says, cleanse ourselves. So cleansing yourself means quit doing it. Well, I'm pretty glad to let a cuss word slip out every now. Well, quit doing it. <laughs> Dearly beloved, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. What? Filthiness of flesh and spirit. You mean to tell me that it's possible to have a filthy spirit? Two amens and, all right, and one all right. That didn't go over too good, did it? Felt like a screen door on a submarine. Let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Filthiness of the flesh, filthiness of the spirit. It's possible for us to have a filthy attitude. Or to just say it right, a stinking attitude. It's possible for us to have filthiness in our attitudes and our thought processes. And listen, if you sit here and you've got an ought against somebody, Best thing you can do before you leave here is get yourself up and go to them and say, Brother, forgive me, forgive me, and help me, O oh Lord, to get past this. Because that book right up there that I preach out of, it may mean nothing to you, may mean everything, but it says this, if you cannot love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love your heavenly Father 
whom you have not seen. And Jesus said, here's the, all the commandments summed up. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Do these. And he said, and there's one that all of the others are included in. And he said, it's the greatest of the commandments. And it's this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So we thin the herd of those that are going in the rapture went right then, didn't we? Now, Brother Jerry, you don't, know, you don't know what she said to me. You don't know that look on her face when she talked to me. I never will forget that look. I never, never will forget those words. Well, you better forget them. And you better forgive them. Or that cloud that's coming to get you will have a hole in it. Filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness. Perfecting means completing the deal, completing the work. It means the whole. Perfect in the Bible means nothing lacking. It, it is complete. It's like the wedding ring on your finger. Until it's broken by outsized forces, it is a fit symbol of the unbroken partnership of marriage. Our covenant with God is like that until it's broken by outside forces. It's a fit symbol of our devotion and our covenant that we have with God. Let us cleanse ourselves and perfect holiness in the fear of God. Holiness means purity. It means sanctification. Can we read a little bit just before we let you go? You're in the mood for just a little bit of reading. Pastor, we've read all morning. Might as well read some more. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9 and get the last verse. It's 28th verse of Hebrews 9. I'm liking this. I don't know if y'all are or not. Are you liking this? It's just the pure Word of God. I don't have anything else to preach except the Word of God. That's all I got. 9.28, Hebrews 9.28. But Christ, so Christ, he's summing up now. He says, so. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Somebody say many. many. Bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now what does he mean by that term without sin unto salvation? In other words, he's not coming back this time to deal with sin. He dealt with sin when he come the first time. He once and for all handled the sin problem one time. And he handled it once and forevermore. There will never be another Calvary. There will never be another crucifixion. There will never be another death of the Lord Jesus. He died once for the sins of the whole world forever. To bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now go to the 10th chapter in the first verse. And now we're going to see what Jesus really did for us. You're going to leave here shouting, I promise. For the law having a shadow 
of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. He just said perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now he's saying that the law and the ordinances and the sacrifices and the burnt offerings can never make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, the old system won't work. In other words, law of ordinances and the ceremonies and the rituals and all of the things of the old covenant, the old testament, he say they will, will never ever perfect holiness in your life. And he says that Jesus is coming after people that are looking for him who are about the business of perfecting holiness in their lives. Boy, that's good stuff. Can never with those sacrifices. It will never happen. Next verse. I'm going to try to go faster, I promise. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. They've ceased to be offered. Why have they ceased to be offered? Everybody asks me every time I go to Israel, did you see where they're rebuilding the temple anywhere, Brother Jerry? Have you seen anything? Yes, I see all kind of signs of it. I've been with the, the president of Hebrew University, Yasher Kaufman and Abner Kaufman. Cosman, those guys tell me they've already got the rock tune. They've already got it ready. They're going to plow up Mount Zion. They're going to take everywhere that a, a non-Hebrew, non-Jew has ever walked on Mount Moriah and pull it up and take it off the mount and put brand new stones on there. I've already seen the priest garb. Barbara, I've already seen the ephod. I've already seen the garment down to his feet. I've already seen the headdress that he's going to wear. I've already seen the trumpet that's sealed with, uh, that doesn't have a seal that's silver. I've already seen the, the uh, dividing knife. I've already seen the table of the showbread that's to go in the temple. They're ready. They're in a school. I went to a school where they're training rabbis now to offer sacrifice, animal sacrifices. And while all the world is going forward, Israel's going back. Isn't it ironic that they're flying jets and the technology in the jets and they're going back 4,000 years to Solomon's temple to rebuild a temple which was the glory of Israel? Well, what a thought that is, isn't it? And, and here, Paul in the Hebrew letter is saying, all of that religiosity, all of that buying goats and buying sheep and, and buying sacrifices and bringing them to the holy of holies and slitting the throat of that animal so its blood could be shed for the remission of the sins of the people for one year not permanently just one year every year on the day of atonement you would bring an offering and it would be killed its blood would be shed so that you and your family could be indulged for another year. Not take away the sin, not destroy the sin, but cover it up. Indulge means to cover it up. Atonement, at one moment, means to cover sin, not to deal with it. But when John looked up on the bank of that Jordan River and he saw the Savior of the world, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which cometh to take away. Mm. The sins of the whole world. Praise God. Read, Jerry. 
for they would not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Next verse, number three. But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. In other words, you've got to come back next year, same time, same station, and we'll deal with the same problem, your sins. Next verse, I'm hearing a promise. For it is not possible that the blood of goats and bulls should take away sin. It can't take it away. It can cover it up. You can be indulged. God said, I'll honor that, but it doesn't permanently fix the problem. Next verse. Wherefore he cometh into the world, Jesus, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. Praise the Lord. Verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Praise God. Next verse. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. God's saying, I don't like this coming back every year and dealing with this thing again. He has no pleasure in that. He said, I, 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 I've got a, a way we can fix this thing permanent where we don't have to come back every year and deal with that same problem. It looks like that problem is your problem and it's going to keep on being your problem until we fix it. You're going to keep on sinning and you're sinning so fast we can't kill animals quick enough that we're going to have to do something and fix this thing permanent. Somebody say glory to God. That's great. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin that has had no pleasure. Next one. Then said I, lo, I come. Jesus said, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written to me to do thy will, O God. I've come to do what you sent me to do. Verse 8, fix the sin problem. Above when he said, sacrifice an offering and burn offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure in which are offered by the law. Next verse. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the religious ceremonies and the rituals. He takes them away. Why? That he may establish the second. What is the second? The second is Jesus. I said the second one is Jesus. The real way to deal with sin is Jesus. The perfect way, the permanent way to deal with sin is Jesus. Woo, glory to God. That he may establish the second. Next verse. By the which we are sanctified. Are you sanctified? We're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. We are sanctified by the offering of Jesus once and for all. Next verse. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same old sacrifice, which can never take away sin. The temple is full of priests offering sacrifices, and they can never take away sin. Cover it up? Yes. Take it away? No. Next verse. But this man. Woo, Mark, I saw you was about to jump up on your feet right there. But this man. Every other priest can't do it but this man. Every other priest can't take away sin but this man. Every other priest stands daily in the temple 
doing the ritual and doing the ceremony, but it won't ever work. It won't ever do what it's supposed to do. But this man, woo, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You know what I do when I get done with my day? I sit down. My favorite place at my house is my chair. I have to fight Debbie's dogs to get it sometimes, but it's my chair, and I love my chair. It means I'm done. I'm finished. I've got the work done. I got her list done. But this man, Jesus, after it offered for one sacrifice himself, for the sins forever sat down on the right hand. What's he doing at the right hand of God? Next verse. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. He's a victorious Jesus. He's a Lord Jesus. He conquers all. Hallelujah. Next verse, please. For by one offering, one time to Calvary, one time to the cross, he hath perfected, there's that word again, Larry, perfected, perfected them that are sanctified. Next verse. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness. The Holy Ghost stood up at the throne room and said, let me put my signature on that. I'll witness to that. I'll sign the document and say that Jesus' blood cleanses from all sin. I'll take that, 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 that witness stand and I'll tell everybody, I'll tell the jury, I'll tell the prosecutor, I'll tell everybody in the courtroom that Jesus' blood washes white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall become as white as snow. Though your iniquities be as crimson, they shall be washed white. Hallelujah! Jesus washes our sins away. Handles it once and forevermore. The Holy Ghost said, let me witness that. For after that, he had said before, next verse, this is the covenant. This is the agreement that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in your heart. I'll put my word in your heart. I'll put my commandments in your heart. I will put them in your heart and their mind, in your mind, will I write them. What are you saying? In the heart of every believer, God has got an indicator that came the night you got saved. It tells you when you're fixing to do something wrong and says, don't do that. It tells you when you're fixing to go somewhere you ought not to go. And that, 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 that indicator says, don't do that. When you, when you get mad and you're about to say some things you ought not to say, that Holy Ghost has put something inside you and says, uh-uh, don't do that now. That's not right. That's not right. We're not perfecting holiness, acting like that and talking like that. Come on, somebody. He said, God put that in your heart and he put it in your mind. Next verse. I'm hurrying to promise. And their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember? No more. Oh, Lord, don't you remember how mean I was for you saved me? 
Oh, God, don't you remember how I used to beat up my wife? And you remember how I used to gamble and drink away all the money and they was all hungry and couldn't pay the bills? God, you know how sorry and low down God said, no, I don't remember that at all. No, I don't remember that. My God, I put that in the sea of forgetfulness a long time ago. I forgave you of that. That sin is gone. That sin's out of here. Why are you still worrying about something I gave you forgiveness for? That sin's gone. Why are you bringing it back up? No, I don't remember it. Great God. I will remember no more. Next verse. Read off of this one a little bit. Now where remission of this is, there is no more offering for sin. Next verse. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Next verse. By a new and a living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. When Jesus hung on the cross, after he prayed and had his seventh cross saying, you've heard me preach about the seven cross sayings of Jesus. The last one is, it is finished. It wasn't I am finished, it was it is finished. And the Bible said there was a great earthquake. And the Bible said, and the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. Glory to God, why was it not rent from bottom to top? Because man didn't do it, God did it. God did it from the top down, not from the down up. God said, I've made a new and living way where you don't have to carry your sin around for a year. You don't have to wait and wonder. You don't have to be in anguish and anxiety. I have fixed it so immediately you can go. You've got access. I said, you've got access. Praise God. He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Next verse. And having a high priest over the house of God. Woo. Did you know this house has got a high priest? You know who the high priest is in this house? The high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who offered himself for the sins of the whole world forevermore. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, in order to get into the presence of God, that high priest had to go through certain things. He had to go over to the golden laver and he had to wash himself. Had to wash himself. And then he would go over and the Bible said they would take the blood at the mercy seat and they would sprinkle him. You see, one of those cleansing was done for him. The other cleansing was done by him. He washed in the golden laver, and then the blood was sprinkled upon him before he was clean enough to go into the holy place. Look at it. Let us draw near, knowing that our hearts now, just like that priest who went into the presence, he had a heart that was sprinkled from an evil conscience, and he had his body washed in 
pure water. Next verse. Let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. Next verse. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Are you a provoker? I said, are you a provoker? You need to provoke somebody. What does that mean? Encourage them. That means, that means help them move along. Next verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting one another as so much more as you see the day approaching. Next verse. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. What does that mean? That means if we choose to go back to our sinful life, then the sacrifice is there. But if you're not in condition to receive the sacrifice of the death of Jesus on the cross, you've got to put yourself in position. Amen? If you sin willfully, if you've got a disobedient heart and a rebellious spirit, then sacrifice won't work. As long as you're wanting to do it your way, in other words, it's not going to happen. You got to do it God's way. Next verse. But a certain fearful looking for all of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Next verse. He that despises Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Next verse. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God hath counted the blood of covenant whereof he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite the Spirit of grace. That's talking about someone that goes back. Next verse. For we know him that hath said vengeance belongeth to me. I will recompense saith the Lord again. The Lord shall judge his people. Next verse. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a just and a living God. And that sums up the whole thing with what's wrong with culture. It's what's wrong with America. It's what's wrong with churches in America. We've lost our fear of God. We've got to a place where we've made a grandfatherly type figure of God that is just kind of a God that just kind of totters along, barely can get around, feeble and anemic. I want to tell you, you got it all wrong. Because this God of all grace is not limited in His power. He's not limited in His ability to do and say and act. He is God and He always will be God. And the Bible said, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Stand with me. I've preached too long this morning, but I just felt like you needed to know those things. Felt like you needed to know those things. I believe that our God is a battle-fighting God. I believe He's the God that owns the battle. We've been struggling and trying to work through several situations for this temple of God. It's God's temple. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's His. 
And a long time ago, I gave this whole thing to God. But I'm believing and telling you today that I believe that God is going to bring something good and beautiful and blessed out of all of this because the number one thing that we have done is be faithful. Be faithful. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Somebody say unmovable. Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I can say at the end of that with Billy Graham, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. God, in dismissal this morning, I thank you for people of like Christian faith that have sat with me in heavenly places this morning. Your word has encouraged us. Your word has inspired us. Your word has taught us. Your word has caused us, O oh Lord, to rededicate and reconsecrate and move closer to you. We yearn, O oh Lord. You said in your word that if we would draw nigh to you, you would draw nigh to us. Lord, in these perplexing times that we're living in, we need you to draw nigh to us because we just can't make it by ourselves. And we don't want to, God. We want you to go with us. Don't leave us, God. Stand by us, God. Jesus, hold our hand. Lord, guide our steps and order our steps. For we don't know which way to turn. We don't know which way to, to do and which way to go. But you do. And you're the God of all grace. And you're our guide and you're our keeper. You're our deliverer. David said, this poor man cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him. God, would you touch this church? You have a purpose for this church, God, that is so great. And I ask you to touch this church and sustain this church, Lord, in days that lie ahead and work in this situation. Your will, your purpose. God, I'm preaching that you're going to do a great thing. I'm believing that you're going to do something marvelous for this church. I'm believing that something good and blessed is going to come out of all of this stuff that we've been through. In Jesus' powerful, holy, and righteous name, go with us now. Amen and amen.